So we, we started a, a series just a couple of weeks ago entitled uh, The Circle Maker. It's the name of the series. And through the series, what we've learned uh, during that first message was that, was that bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. Last week, we learned, we learned that every generation must answer the question, how big is our God? How big is our God? Because we believe that to the degree that we think our God is in terms of bigness, to that degree are we able to dream. And so we want to be able to be a people that dream big, that believe God for big things in, in our community, in our families, in our lives. But it's directly tied to how big we think our God is. And so we were really encouraged last week as we talked about how big God is. And so today I want to, I want to share a message today, a part of this series entitled Open your eyes. Open your eyes. This series really has been a series where I've wanted to, to train us to not only believe God for our unchurched friends, family members, and coworkers, and for the big things that we're believing God for in our lives, but I also want to train us to pray, um, to, to be people that grow in the area of prayer. And so today's message, what I want to do is I kind of want to give us the why. Why are we going to be challenged today to, to write down three names and spend time in prayer for these unchurched friends, family members, or coworkers? So I want to give us the why today. And so uh, we're going to begin that. And so listen, I'm talking today to Christians in the room. I'm talking to those of you who are followers of Jesus in the room, because one of the things we have to do as followers of Christ is to be quick to share our faith with those who are not yet followers of Christ. And here's why that's important. Because if we don't share our faith, we won't grow in our faith. And so if you want to be a follower of Jesus that's growing in their faith, then we, we need to learn how to share our faith. Now, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, listen, you picked a great Sunday to come to. Here's why. You're going to get a behind-the-scenes look as to why we are so passionate about sharing the story of Jesus and sharing our faith. And so you picked a great Sunday to be here. Thank you for being here. And so we want to go ahead and, and turn to our Bibles to two places this morning, uh, two places. Turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, it's the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Turn to John 4. We're going to begin there and then put a bookmark in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. If you want to know where 2 Peter is, once you find John 4, just keep flipping pages towards the back of the Bible and you eventually run into 2 Peter. So 2 Peter 1, put a bookmark there. If you've got a Bible, a paper Bible like I do, I've got the ribbon. Just put your ribbon in 2 Peter 1 or bookmark or the picture of your dog or grandma or ex-girlfriend or boyfriend. Just put it in 2 Peter 1 and uh, mark it there. If you're using a smart device, then just click on John 4. That's where we're going to begin in just a moment. If you're like me and you've been reading the Bible for some time, um, you, you begin to learn and you begin to experience that although there are many things that you read in the Bible that at face value, they speak to you and they, they encourage you, they challenge you, you also begin to find that some of the major 
things that God wants to say to you is often found in the details of the Bible that aren't as easily found when you just kind of read it. And so when we look at John chapter four, I want to look at one of those moments that is that is easy for us to just read over, gloss over, but I, I don't want to do that. I want to pause for a moment and I want to read into the details of what Jesus is saying so that we could unpack this idea of open your eyes. And so in John four, John four is a familiar story to some of us. It's the story where, where Jesus meets a woman at a well. Jesus is traveling with his disciples, his 12 disciples, and they're having to go, uh, they're having uh, to go through Samaria. Now they didn't have to go through Samaria geographically, but Jesus was compelled to go to this place in Israel called Samaria. And so um, he goes to Samaria and for some reason, the disciples kind of take off. They go off to do their own thing. I probably in their mind, they're just wanting to give Jesus a break, give him some downtime, some alone time. And so as they go off, Jesus uh, goes to a well and there he finds a woman. We know her as the woman at the well. It's an interesting story because Jesus strikes up a conversation with her, a Samaritan woman. And, and in that conversation, Jesus begins to probe a little bit. He begins to ask some very personal questions. Tell me about your husband. She says, well, I don't have a husband. Jesus responds by saying, I know you've had five husbands and the guy that you're with now, he's your shacking up buddy and he's not your husband. The woman kind of steps back. And if, if you grew up on King James uh, version of the Bible, she says it like this. I perceive a vow to be a prophet. You know, Jesus is reading her mail. One of the most powerful moments in that story is whenever, whenever Jesus uh, looks at this woman and says, listen, you're coming to this, to this well because you're thirsty. You're not only thirsty physically, but you're thirsty emotionally. You're thirsty relationally. You're thirsty spiritually. But if you come, if you come to me, I'll give you water. Well, you'll never thirst again. It's a remarkable moment that Jesus has with this woman. It so impacted this woman, the Samaritan woman. And by the way, just for Jesus to broach this conversation with this woman, he breaks two major barriers of that time. He breaks the gender barrier and he breaks a race barrier. He breaks the gender barrier because in that, in that time, um, you know, the, 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 the difference in, in gender between male and female, men, female were regarded as very low in society. And so Jesus comes and he, he shows us, in other words, that, that God created them equal, male and female, that, that he created them. And so he broke the gender barrier and he broke the racial barrier. Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. How many know that race is a man-made barrier? It's not a God-made barrier. And so Jesus breaks that barrier as he speaks with this Samaritan woman. And she's so, he so impacted her that the Bible says that she, she ran off. She ran off into her town to tell them what Jesus, the encounter that she had with Jesus. And she said, come see a man that told, told me everything, everything about me. And so let's pick up the story in verse 27. Verse 27, it says, then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman, but no one asked, and let me pause there, but no one asked, because this is interesting. John is getting ready to introduce us 
to two things that didn't happen. John is getting ready to say, no one asked these two questions. And here's what I found interesting. I'm, I'm thinking to myself that John is now writing this book years after this moment with some kind of regret as he's remembering this moment and the events of this day. And he's, and he's writing the story and the events of this day. And he's thinking to himself, if I knew then what I know now, I would have asked these two questions. So, so John is getting ready to tell us, here's what didn't happen on that day. But it should be clues for us as to what we should be thinking. And so let's read it. No one asked, what do you want, Jesus? And why are you talking with her? How many think that a good question as followers of Jesus to ask Jesus is, what do you want? Hey, Jesus, what do you want? What do you want for my life? What do you want for my family? What do you want for our church? What do you want for our community? John said, if we would have known, we would have asked this question, but no one asked this question. What do you want? And then the second, why are you talking with this woman? Now, we are going to spend some time unpacking that question uh, because it also answers the question for us, why should it matter to me to take time to write down three names of unchurched family members, friends, or coworkers. Why should I take time to pray for them and invite them? It's the same question John is asking, and we're going to answer that a little bit more down the road in this message. But so, so here's, let's unpack this a little bit more. Let's keep reading verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and which, by the way, the town, it wasn't like she drove an hour to go back to town. She walked back maybe less than a mile back to her town and said to the people of the, of the village or of her town, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. He read my mail. Could this be the Christ or the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So picture this in your mind. Jesus is with his disciples. The disciples finally show up. They're surprised that he's talking to this woman. This woman leaves Jesus and the disciples who have returned. She goes back to her town. She makes such a ruckus that the townspeople begin to follow her like a parade on Sunday morning downtown to come see Jesus. Can you see all the people following her? The townspeople, families and children, men and women are coming because she's saying, come see a man. I think I've found the Messiah, the Christ. And so here is this woman leading the parade to Jesus with this huge crowd following. And the next verse, it says that the disciples turn to Jesus and they say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you want to get some lunch? They see this big crowd coming and, and they know that what this means is work because they just come off some ministry, some ministry that they were doing. They see the crowds coming and they look to Jesus and say, Jesus, let's go get some Chick-fil-A like right now. Let's go. Jesus's response to the disciples is I have food that you know not of. And the disciples completely miss the metaphor. And they actually begin to argue. They get upset. Who brought Jesus some Chick-fil-A? 
Philip, did you, did you get some food and bring it to Jesus? Who, who brought him some lunch? Jesus gives him a second chance to get what he's saying when he begins to say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In other words, Jesus was looking at his disciples and he was saying to them, I'm not really concerned about lunch right now, fellas, but I am fired up about this crowd that's coming my way to encounter me. That's what I'm fired up about. And then he goes on to say, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? In other words, you keep saying, we'll do the town another day. We'll do the community another day. That's reserved for another day. We, we don't expect God to do anything now. That's tomorrow. That's another day. We don't expect any major thing to happen in the kingdom, in our community, in our region. We'll give another day. We'll go another year. Four more months and then the harvest. But Jesus said, I tell you, and then he says three words, the title of today's message, and I want all of us to say it out loud together. I tell you, open your eyes. Let's say it again. Those of you watching online, join us right where you're at from your living room, your car, wherever you're at. Say it out loud. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And I am convinced, I am convinced that if Jesus could stand on this platform and speak to us as believers, he will say to you and he would say to me, open your eyes. And I'm convinced that he would say, I wish you would see Youngstown the way I see it. I wish you would see Mahoning County the way I see it. Trumbull County, Columbiana County the way I see it. I wish you would see Mercer County. And I wish you would see Butler County the way that I see it. I wish you would see it the way I see it. Your co-worker the way I see him or her. Your family member that's far from, from, from me. I wish you would see your community, your sphere of influence, the people in your world. I wish you would see them the way that I see them, God is saying. Why? Because listen, you cannot reach what you cannot see. And you cannot love what you cannot see. And a lot of us operate under a condition that I personally have. I have this condition. In fact, when I, uh, just about the time I turned 40 years old, I gave myself a birthday present and it was a trip to the eye doctor. I went to the eye doctor because, you know, I grew up under, uh, under a pastor, Bishop Thomas, who he would call himself an eyeball preacher. Right? Bishop Thomas was an eyeball preacher. And I remember thinking, I, I, I'm, it's hard for me to be an eyeball preacher. Not, not because I don't like looking at people's eyeballs, but when I would stare at faces, I didn't see eyeballs. All I would see were blurry faces. And so it was hard for me to be an eyeball preacher, to engage people, you know, like that. And so I decided on my 40th birthday to go to the eye doctor. And if you've ever been to the eye doctor, all the glasses people, they, you know, you, you get what I'm saying. You, you sit down at the chair and the first thing they do to help you is they make you blind. 
They spray some things in your eyes, and then they put this contraption over your face and blows air right into your eyeball. And I'm like, whoa, what's that? Oh, it's a glaucoma check. Well, warn a brother next time. Don't just, you know, it just shocked me. The doctor leaves for some time. He comes back, and he says, because I, I couldn't see far. I couldn't see far. I could, I could read a menu. I still can to this day. <laughs> I got small print on my iPhone, right? I could still see everything up close. I'm good. I could see an eye, an, the eyelash on a gnat. I'm good seeing close. It's the far that I have t- the hard time with. And so the doctor comes back, and he says, hey, I know the problem. And I said, what? He said, you're nearsighted. I said, nuh-uh. I, I, um, I, I'm good with near. I could see the near. He said, no, 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 but you're, you're nearsighted. Well, wh- what do you mean? He said, you're, you're nearsighted. Well, I could see the near. It's the far I can't see. He said, yeah, well, that's what we call it. And I thought to myself, why is it? This is like the only medical profession that names your condition as to what you're good at. Right? It's like you go to the doctors with a broken arm to, for them to tell you, here's your problem. You've got two good legs. Well, thanks, doc. I appreciate it. Right? So I'm, I'm nearsighted. I'm nearsighted, and so I got the gift at the age of 40 of these of glasses. And so I remember when I picked up the glasses, maybe a week later after they were done, the prescription was done, and I'm, I've got the glasses. I could see far. I could see, I could see the, the, the details on the leaves on the tree, and, I, you know, it, my prescription wasn't really bad, but I could certainly see clearer. I could see better. And I remember as I'm driving in the car, I remember God asking me a question. He basically said to me, Juan, do you, would you, do you think or would you consider that maybe you're spiritually nearsighted? And I remember when God asked this question of me, I had two options. I could either engage him in conversation or I can completely ignore this moment. And so I began to engage him. Okay, spiritually nearsighted. Yeah, you see clearly the near. You see clearly what matters to you, to your family, maybe the small world that you live in. You see that clearly. In other words, you know you're spiritually nearsighted. The test is what you pray for and what you spend for. And he began challenging me, saying, you, you, you know, look at what you're praying for and what you're spending for. You do a really good job with everything that's near. Your family, the small world that you live in, the, the circle of friends. You see that. You get that. Your own personal needs. But is it possible, Juan, that you're nearsighted? nearsighted. You don't see the far. You don't see the other. Your main concern when you pray, it's you. It's the Rivera clan. It's the Rivera family. The first needs you meet are yours. You're there. It's all near. It's what's, it's what's in front of you. But do you see the far? Do you see globally? Do you see the world? Do you see things as I see them? And that day, God began to challenge me in this area where he's wanting us, wanted me, to seek his kingdom first. In other words, what he was saying was, if you, if you, if you open your eyes and 
see beyond and see what's not just near but what's far if you open your eyes and begin to see as I see and love what I love and to begin investing in prayer and investing in resources what I see the far 2020 vision I'll take care of the near you don't have to worry about the needs of the Rivera family the desires of the Rivera family seek first my kingdom and all of the near stuff will be added unto you but I want you to have 2020 vision not just be nearsighted but I want you to see with open eyes somebody give God praise for just a moment and so and so by the way I, I learned that day that this is a spiritual condition nearsightedness is a spiritual condition so like any good student of the Bible you would want to know show me that in Scripture well good second Peter chapter 1 beginning with verse 3 Second Peter 1, 3, the Bible says, His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So here's what you need to know about that verse. God has given us power. He's given us power to live life on earth as followers of Jesus. He's given us power. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises. Two things now. He's given us power. Verse 2 says he's given us promises. Can you say those two words together? Power, promises. These are things God has given us as followers of Jesus. He's given us power and he's given us promises. Why? So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Wrap your head around that one. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You want to know how to live right in a wrong world? God is giving you power and promises to live right in a wrong, wrong world. And we're going to read some more verses and, and watch this. He, he's giving you power and promises to grow. Let's read. For this reason, the reason, the reason I've given you power and promises, or because I've given you power and promises, make every effort. It's not automatic. It takes some effort, but make every effort to add to your faith, which we have your faith, goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control, perseverance and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from two things being ineffective and unproductive. That is a word for the for the church of America today. God wants us to not be ineffective or unproductive. He wants us to be effective and productive but it means to do so, we have to grow. How do we do that? He's given us power and promises. But watch this, verse 9. But if anyone does not have them, it's because he or she is nearsighted and blind. Their world is small. It's me first, it's me second, it's me third. And all, is, all we see is the near. It's the close. He is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Listen, he's talking to believers. God is saying, I, don't, I want you to be believing believers. 
not make believers. He's talking to people whose sins have been cleansed. Their past has been cleansed from, from sin. He's saying, I want you to be effective. And that's why I'm convinced that if the Lord had an opportunity to look at his church, he would say, there's never been a better time to reach the world around you than in this moment right now. There's never been a better opportunity than now to reach people for Christ. And if you can't see it, then we need to open our eyes. It's Probably because we're nearsighted and God wants us to look up and open our eyes. It's why I'm stirred up about friends and family Sunday. It's why we'll be challenging each other to pray, to plan, to invest in prayer, and to invite and bring them to church with you on Friends and Family Sunday coming up in just a couple of weeks. Because during this season right now, in the fall, families are going through something. Individuals are going through something. It's a, it's a new beginning. It's a new startup. It's like January. At the beginning of the year, people are stepping. They feel like they need a change. They want something new. And right now, unlike any moment in the rest of the year people are wanting that they'll say yes in the in the next week or two when they would normally say no and it's not just seasonal but I believe the Holy Spirit is 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 writing is writing in this season convincing men and women of their need of a savior and that man that woman that boy or girl is only one invitation away from you to respond and say yes and come to church on that Sunday and give their heart to Jesus somebody give them thanks for just a moment because you believe that he can do it now listen there is in all of us a gravitational pull, not toward others, but toward self. That while Jesus is concerned about reaching people, we're concerned about lunch. You want to get lunch, Jesus? No. There's a crowd coming. Open your eyes. It's not uncommon for our biggest concern on a weekly basis as followers of Jesus to be, Pastor Wong, what are you going to feed us this week? I'm hungry. I want some lunch spiritually, the word, meat. And God is saying, we need to eat, we get it, but we're in a season where the church needs to stop living their life consisting of just going to church every week to get fed spiritually God wants us to open our eyes and understand that the reason you get fed here is so that you could take your lunch and share it with someone else out there that's hungry, that's starving spiritually. Give them the living water that they need. Do something with the food that you've been giving and give it away to somebody else. You know, it's great to know that Victory Christian Center, there's a place for you. But if that's all you got coming Sunday after Sunday, then while Jesus' attention is on, is on the town, you're just worried about what you're going to eat. And we get so comfortable hanging out with the 99 all the time that we forget that Jesus is hanging out with the one that's lost, that's out there. And I guess all I'm saying today is that, yes, there's a place for you. We celebrate that. But there's also a place for your. There's a place for your coworker, your unchurched family member, your unchurched coworker or friend or family or whatever. It's a place not just for us, but it's a place for others. 
And so I want us to see this today. I want for us to allow Holy Spirit to do a vision test on us so that we can see more clearly. And I want us to see clearly three things today. And I'm going to give these to you as quickly as I can. They're all found in John 3.16, a very familiar verse. The first one that I want to give you. Two questions John did not ask. Jesus, what do you want? So if a church, if we were to ask Jesus what he wants, I believe Jesus would want us to see beyond to not just be nearsighted, but to see farther. That's what Jesus wants, his, Jesus wants his church, to be a church that exists not for themselves, but exists for others. But the second question, why are you talking to this woman? Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? Why are we writing down the names of three unchurched friends, family members, coworkers? Here's, here's the first reason, number one. Write this down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Number one. Value. Value. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Listen to me. Every person, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl has value. They have value. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter their skin color. It doesn't matter the language they speak their ethnicity, their age. It doesn't matter which side of the tracks they grew up in, their economic status, their education status, city, suburb, urban. It doesn't matter where they're from in the world. Every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl has value. And listen to me, value is determined by the price someone is willing to pay for something. And Jesus God, through Jesus, established the value on every human being on the planet. Listen to me. It's because of Genesis. The Bible says in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27, that you and I, humanity, male, female, we were made in the image of God. When God made us, he stamped his image on us. And out of all the created things on the planet, we're the only ones to bear the Imago Dei, the image of God. And God, through his son Jesus, determined our worth and our value when he sent Jesus, when the question was was asked how much is one person worth God says they are worth my son Jesus that's important because listen we don't get to determine a person's value or worth you don't get to determine a person's value or worth a government can't determine a person's value or worth political parties don't determine a person's value or worth God has already determined the worth of people and he says they are worth my son One of the great shows I love to watch, PBS, free TV, is Antique Roadshow. Antiques Roadshow. I love when people bring their heirloom. They bring their stuff. Sometimes it's worth nothing, but sometimes grandma brings her heirloom that she's had for four generations that Johnny takes over the weekend to kick around with his friends, and she brings it to the Antiques Roadshow, and someone sits there and looks at it and determines if it's, it's quality and all of this, and then they come to that grandma that brought that heirloom and say, yeah, it's worth $5 million. How does he know it's worth $5 million? Because he knows what someone is willing to pay for this thing. 
And all of a sudden, that heirloom that he, she, she lets Johnny borrow on the weekends to kick around with his friends, all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I've got to put this in a place of value. I didn't know it was that valuable. What I'm here to tell you, I'm, I'm here to tell people that look at a region like Youngstown, Ohio, or Warren, Ohio, or Sharon, or Farrell, Pennsylvania. When we look at our communities, we say, oh, they're not worth much. There's nothing much here. There's no future. There's no economy. This is wrong that's bad I'm here to tell you that what you might think is insignificant and worthless that God has already established a value on every man every woman every boy every girl and every community I'm here to tell you that there is gold in the rust belt of America this region is valuable to God it is worth a move of God it is worth an awakening it is worth a church praying and going and giving and believing that our best days are ahead of us and not behind us. You don't get to determine the worth of people. God has already established that. Which tells me that crazy Uncle Billy and silly Aunt Susie and strung out, strung out cousin Harry and, and, and deadbeat dad whatever they all have an opportunity because they have value but that's the problem isn't it the problem is when you look at the world people created in the image of God not everyone acts as though or behaves as though they're made in the image of God it's marred it's conflicted. And rebellion against God has so distorted the image of God in humanity. But the amazing thing is that despite all of that, God still values humanity. For God so loved and valued the world that he paid a price, the price of his son for that world. The question is, will I love what God loves or will I just tolerate what God loves? And if this is true, if people have worth if they have value, it means no matter what, I'm valuable to God. He loves me. Listen, whether I'm aware of it or not, he loves me. Whether I've ever heard it or not, he loves me. Whether I'm in Pakistan or whether I'm in Calcutta, India, or whether I'm in Japan or Saudi Arabia or Iraq or Youngstown or Sharon or Warren County or Trumbull County or Butler County, he loves me. The question is, will I open my eyes and see what God sees and love what God loves? and give our lives, our time, and our resources to that which God says is worth my son's life. The second thing I believe God wants us to see is, is the second thing, it's also found in John three sixteen. it's capacity. Capacity, write that word down, capacity. If it's true that God values people enough to give his son, then it must also be true that we have the capacity to receive that love. We have capacity. John 3.16 says that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him. 
Now I have the freedom to say no, but the miracle is, is that I have the ability to say yes. And while many will say no, many will say yes. Why is capacity important? Because if we believe in the power of the gospel to transform lives, no matter what crazy cousin Louie may be doing this weekend, no matter how far out, strung out, busted, disgusted, no matter how crazy, no matter how far gone, no matter how offended, no matter how atheistic, no matter how agnostic, no matter how smart, no matter, no matter what, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl has the capacity to say yes when confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have capacity. Sure, they have the freedom to say no. But we must not stop until every person on the planet has an opportunity to say yes. It amazes me that Coca-Cola, the CEO of Coca-Cola, made it his aim to get a bottle of Coke into every hand of every person around the world. And you know what? They're doing it. They're doing it. And yet, that's what Jesus wants from the church. Well, what I'm trying to say is that if Coke can do it, so can we. Every now and then, I'm telling you, church, I love you. God's called us here, so don't, don't misconstrue this. But every now and then, it's frustrating. It's frustrating when you feel, when you have that call for global evangelism knowing that there's a person somewhere that has never heard about Jesus. It's frustrating to, to, to talk to the same people that have heard him time and time again, knowing that there are others that have, and that's why we do what we do with global missions and building the kingdom of God together. We can't do everything, but we can do something. People have capacity. They have capacity. It's what drives us what drives those of us that that go and that give and that pray why do we sign up to go on missions trip there's nothing promised we're taking a team to El Salvador in February of next year why are people signing up there's there's nothing promised no one has promised them they're gonna have a hundred salvations when they go but what drives them is value and capacity then they know that there's 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 potential for people to say yes to the gospel the bible says for everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved that's everyone everyone who calls on jesus will be saved we sit back and say oh that's great everyone that calls on the name of the lord shall be saved that's wonderful but we, we think we think that god like has this magic board in heaven with buttons on it and and he says things like today i want to save billy and today I want to save Susie. Not Jack, he's getting on my nerves today. I'll wait till tomorrow maybe. But today I want to, I want to save this person. I want, God doesn't do that. If he does have a board with buttons in heaven, I believe what he is doing is, today I want to wake my church up. Today I want to wake Billy the Christian up and Harry the Christian up because he's invited us. He's invited us in, into, this, into this grand this grand redemptive process of humanity. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how can they call on him to save them 
unless they believe. But then how can they believe if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless the church tells them? The future harvest of this region, if we fail, it will not be God's fault. It will be ours. And unless this new generation answers the question, how big is our God? And then turn and ask him, what do you want? And allow him to give us 2020 vision. Unless we do that, we will fail for the purpose that we were placed in this region. But I'm here to tell you that we will not fail on the assignment of God. I'm here to tell you that we're learning to pray circles around our Jerichos, around this community, around our friends and family members and co-workers that are far from God. I will not let you give up. I will not let you drop your dream. I will not let the cause of Christ in this community fall to the ground without a fight. There is capacity in people. The last one, and we gotta wrap things up. Number three, not only do people have value and capacity, but third one, they have purpose. They have purpose. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl has a destiny from God waiting to be fulfilled. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Every person has significance. They've got purpose. They've got purpose. God doesn't save us in a vacuum. There is a story yet to be unwritten, the purpose of our salvation. And it's true for all of us. When I think of this, I think of, I think of the man that we know of today as the Apostle Paul. We know him as the Apostle Paul today. But he wasn't always the Apostle Paul. He was Saul of Tarsus, the Christian terrorist of the first century church. He was a Christian terrorist. He was a man that hated Christianity, that went out of his way to persecute them, to arrest them. He was there when the first Christian martyr was killed in Jerusalem. His name was Stephen. He gladfully stood there, partook of the stoning of Stephen. Actually, they laid Stephen's clothes at his feet. And with a smile, he approved the death of the first Christian martyr. And he left Jerusalem with papers to go to Damascus to incarcerate more Christians because Christianity began flourishing in Damascus. And as he's making his way to Damascus to terrorize more Christians, he, he gets an encounter with Jesus. Literally, he gets knocked off his horse and he be, hears a voice from heaven. It was Jesus. And Jesus asks him a question. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that question messes me up. First of all, it messes me up because it's like, why does God even ask questions? He knows the answer. 
But whenever God asks you a question, it's an invitation to a journey of discovery so that you can learn something in the process. But secondly, it's obvious why, why Saul was doing what he was doing. Why am I persecuting you, Jesus? Because I'm a terrorist. That's what we do. Why does a drug addict snort drugs or shoots up with a needle? Because they're a drug addict. Why does a thief steal? Because they're thieves. Why does a liar lie? Because they're liars. Why do sinners sin? Because they're sinners. God comes to a terrorist and is saying, why are you terrorizing my church? How can God ask such a question? It's because when God invades your world, he speaks things into your life that aren't even evident yet. And he doesn't see you as you are. He sees you as you shall be or can be. He came to Saul that day. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you asking this question, God? Because when I look into your future, I don't see Saul, the terrorist. I see Paul, someone who is anointed to be an apostle. I see a man inspired by the Holy Spirit to write two-thirds of the Bible. I see a man who will walk in healing, signs, and wonders. You will preach my gospel. You will be a missionary throughout this known world. And there will be a church in Coitsville established because of the revelation that I'm going to give to you that this good news is not just for Jews, but it's it's also for Gentiles. That's who I see when I encounter you. So excuse me if I take time dealing with current drug addicts and alcoholics, but that's not what I see. I see a Billy Graham. I see somebody that's the next entrepreneur with a God idea to change a community. Excuse me. Then excuse me. Just, just pardon me. Because when you see a town that's devastated by a spirit of poverty and broken families and God confusion, God wants us to open our eyes. And if we'll let him, he'll speak things about our life, our family, our communities, our region, and speak things that aren't even evident yet. But he speaks about our future, not where we are. And I'm so glad that God thinks this way. Thank God that he saw value in my dad. Over 40 years ago, a deadbeat, alcoholic, drug-addicted father and husband who would leave for weeks at a time. But God saw value, and God saw capacity, and God saw purpose. And somebody saw value when they said, hey, come to our church. My dad said, I'll only come once. Well, listen, that's all God needs. That's all God needs is one opportunity with any man, with any woman, with any boy, with any girl, because that's just like our God. And so here's what we're going to do right now. There are some souls in our lives that God has already been speaking to us. And I want all of us to take out this connect card, the sermon notes, the three circles. And I want you to right now, all together, all of us right now, let's do it in this atmosphere. Let's do it in this moment. Because faith is up. We've been challenged. And we want to write down the names 
of three unchurched friends, family members, or coworkers, that even while we've been sitting in this room, God has laid this person on our heart. For some of you, you're thinking of a name that just really freaks you out when you think about, I'm gonna have to talk to this person. Well, if God is laying them on your heart, just write it down. You never know what God is gonna do. For some others, it's just you, you've got, you came in with the three, you know who you're bringing. So we wanna do that right now. We wanna take a moment and do that right now together. So honey, I don't know if you've got something right with, I need one. Thank you. Thank you, sweetie. Let's take, let's take 30 seconds, 45 seconds and do that right now, all together. God, who in my world, in my sphere of influence, that has value, has capacity, has a purpose, but doesn't know you, they're far from you. Am I gonna invest in prayer? And I'm gonna invite. And if you don't have anyone, maybe you just have one or two, you take some time this week and you think about it and you write them down. And here's what we're gonna do with these names. You're gonna keep this. But you're gonna pray circles around them this week. Those of you that can join us on Tuesday night at 7 p.m., we're gonna gather together. Bring this if you want. We're gonna pray. We're gonna pray. And on Sunday, September 8th, Friends and Family Sunday, we're not gonna do lunch. God wants us to lift our eyes and see that the harvest is ready. The workers may be few, but the harvest is plentiful. And we're believing God for a fall harvest this year so that the Lamb of God can receive the reward of His suffering. And we want to celebrate some Jesus victories this fall and see new people come to Jesus this fall. And so believe with me, Pray with me. Come on, church. Open your eyes. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet and celebrate Jesus for just a moment because of what he's going to do. Come on, stand to your feet. Honey, if you can come and join me, and if our prayer team can come as well, we're going to close. We're going to close. We're going to close in just, in just a short minute. If you're here this morning and you're far from God, don't leave today. Don't leave today with my, without making things right with God. How do I do that, Pastor? In just a moment, at the end of this blessing, we're going to invite people to come up and receive prayer. There are going to be so many different reasons why people are coming to receive prayer. And so all you need to do is you just need to join those people that are coming up and seeing one of these leaders that help us pray. And when you come up to one of these leaders, just tell them, I, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I'm far from God. Can you help me? Can you pray with me? And they will help you. They'll pray with you. They'll pray with you and they'll help you take your very first steps with Jesus. If that's you here today, friend, don't leave before you do that. Do that first. But if you're here today and you need prayer for any reason, any reason at all, we want to pray for you. It's what we do here at Victory Christian Center. Every week, we pray for people. You don't have to be a member of Victory to receive prayer. And listen, we just don't pray for bad people. 
all of us need prayer. I need prayer, you need prayer. So if you're here and you need prayer for any reason, any reason at all, just come and receive prayer. Keep your eyes open as we bless you today. Friends and family of Victory Christian Center, I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you with eyes to see what God sees. Eyes to love what God loves. Eyes to see value. Eyes to see capacity. To see purpose. And the people in your world. That we would have 2020 vision to not only see the near, but to see the far. And I bless you that as you write down the names of people in your world and begin to pray for them this week, I bless you with Jesus' victories. I bless you with timing and the words. I bless you with the picture of that friend, that family member, or that coworker. I bless you with the picture of them at the altar giving their life to Jesus. God healing them, restoring them, saving them, setting them free. I bless you that you leave here today, you leave on mission, challenging everyday people to experience every victory in Jesus. I bless you, Victory Christian Center, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you. We love you. Come on. If you need prayer for any reason, just come. We want to pray for you.